HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, January 16th, 2019. Happy New Year, everyone. This is the 201st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the owner of a recreational cooking school, cafe, and event space, and a fellow HRN host. And I'll introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to have a can-do attitude. Think positively and know that you can achieve anything with the right mindset. It may not be easy or fast, but trust in the process, as with practice comes confidence, which fosters results. My guest today actually recently posted on Instagram a quote that reads, everything is hard before it's easy. (laughs) And that's true. So work hard and know that anything and everything is possible. That's my tip today. Now I'm excited to have my guest here to kick off the new year. It is Allison Kane. She is a Manhattan-based entrepreneur and adjunct food studies professor. In 2012, she opened Haven's Kitchen, a recreational cooking school with a cafe and private event space in New York's Union Square neighborhood. Haven's Kitchen was established to teach the joy of cooking with the understanding that our food choices are deeply connected to a larger food economy. Allison has also written the Haven's Kitchen Cookbook, which was published by Artisan Workman, and she's the host of In the Sauce here on Heritage Radio Network. 
Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's fun being on this side. Yes, I I can imagine you 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 don't get to look towards the right. the engineering booth, and I didn't have to worry <laughs> about when I have to start talking. I'm always nervous. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll guide you along. You can even signal though, me, right? Even though you're a pro. Yeah. So let's let's go back to a little bit of your background, your roots, like. How did sure. you, how did you get into cooking and where did you grow up was was food always a big part of your life Yeah um I grew up here in Manhattan I guess here ish and I started cooking when I was about 8 I was one of those kids that I was an only child and everybody I knew that kind of had a what quote unquote normal sort of happy big family existence whether it was sort of the Brady Bunch or it was actual kids in my class, they all had kitchen tables that were filled with people and laughter and food. And so my goal was to have that. So I started cooking and I would invite my parents and then friends um, over to eat. And I just got better and better at it. I was never professionally trained. I was going to ask that. Self-taught. Yeah, totally self-taught. And then I got married at 22 and had five kids in eight years. Oh, my God. Um, so <laughs> didn't see myself as really hireable um, in a professional setting other than, you know, just what I was doing at home. Um, but I kept cooking, and I started teaching people how to cook um, in my house. And, you know, for kids, for others, you know, how to just – there was so much confusion about – what was good for you and what wasn't. Um, And I just really always enjoyed kind of weeding through. And I always believed in the power of food. Um, And when my youngest was three, I decided to go back to school. And there was this program at NYU that seemed super random and kind of noncommittal called food studies. Um, Yeah, I've attended food studies. Yeah, you, yes. I started in the program in its second year. I know, which is so amazing. And I'm sure, I mean, it's changed even since I was there. It's developed but, so much. Yeah. It's grown. It's a fantastic program. But, you know, at the time in 2009, I, you know, my options were nutrition, which was not my calling, public health, which um, I had done some policy work after college before I left the working world, and I didn't really want to be doing that. Um, And I didn't really think I was culinary bound. So food studies, you know, is sort of like a little policy, a little anthropology, some food systems, some agriculture, food writing. It's sort of this, you know, hodgepodge of all things food related. Um, And I loved every second of it. And um, basically, I had to get an internship. (laughs) I don't know if that was part of the program when you were there. Well, I didn't. I've said this on the show before. I've I didn't graduate. I ha- have twelve credits through the program, oh my gosh, and I that's took great. a leave of absence. Right, and but actually, I did I did some work with the James Beard Foundation. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mitchell Davis was one of my instructors. Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I think the the program was very new. I don't know if there was a, a internship that was a direct part of it, but it was. I, I'm not surprised. But well, yeah. I mean, for me, I had five kids under I guess ten at the time. And I said to Jenny Berg, like, I can't get an intern. I mean, who's going to hire me? I'm not an intern. I'm 40 or whatever it was, you know. Right. Like, 
And she was like, oh, you'll find something. Just keep looking. So it turned out that there was an available position at the Union Square Green Market as the head of the education station. And I basically applied and I showed up for the interview and I'll never forget the woman who was running the program at the time kind of looked at me and she said, did you say on your, on your, like on your cover letter that you have five children? And I said, (laughs) I do. And I kid you not, she reached into her bag and took out the keys to the van and she said, you have the job. I'll see you in June. <laughs> like, this is September. So, oh I mean, she was like, if I can trust that you, you can handle it, you know. So I started, in addition to teaching cooking at home, I was now giving agricultural and sort of food policy walkthroughs to kids and their grownups, like ages three all the way through high school, as the head of the education station at the Green Market. And then basically decided I wanted to open a place that combined those two things where um, sustainability met culinary and where people could just learn how to cook from scratch because that is sort of the thing that you can do as a, like a citizen that can really make massive change in the, in the larger food system. Right. So that brought about Haven's Kitchen. Yes. So how did you go about finding a space? And then you initially started more as a cooking school Mm -hmm. and then you've added on components? So, you know, everyone thought it was a really bad idea as (laughs) most people who go into retail will tell you. And I said, no, no, it's going to be fine. I'm just going to get like a little space and I'll put a little kitchen in it and I'll drop my kids at school in the morning and I'll go and I'll meet everyone and lock up and take them on a tour of the market and come back to my little space and we'll cook lunch and I'll clean up and then I'll go home. And that was a really good plan, except that that made absolutely no sense. And consequently, what ended up happening was, I don't even know if it still exists. I haven't looked, but there was a website called LoopNet. Um, It's kind of like Street Easy, but it was Mm -hmm. for commercial. And this carriage house, this like three-story, 18th century charming little house in the middle of 17th street kept coming up and um i just had to go see it and of course you know the rule number one is like don't fall in love with the space and i totally fell in love with the (laughs) space and then i said oh well now i'm gonna have to have retail and so i guess i'll put like a shop in front and at the time the third floor was completely occupied and it was not part of the lease So the second floor, I was like, oh, I could put like a living room with a bar here and then we could have some parties. And it just kind of morphed into what it became. The second year of the lease, we did get the third floor, which meant that now we were able to sort of do larger events and I could do weddings and things that actually end up really being sort of the bread and butter of the business. But it was always, you know, I think of it as you know, the heart of it is the cooking school, the arms welcoming people or the cafe and the legs that make it run are the events. Wow. So mm-hmm. you didn't, you didn't have a, a model or anything you were looking at as an example. No. You sort of just created this. Yeah. Which, which, <laughs> and, and we saw each other earlier today. Yeah. I stopped in for lunch. I know, which was so nice. It was, it was so nice because I was so due to come back in and first of all, it was delicious. Thank you. But the space, there is something really magical about the space. And Thank and you. it had good energy. Yeah. So I see why you fell in love with it. Yeah. It was 
um, I just walked in and I saw it and I saw it like a little beehive with people doing all different things and all food related. Also at the time, you know, there was sort of this burgeoning food movement and a, and a, and a, you know, Omnivore's Dilemma came out, I think in 2010, this was all around that time when people were starting to recognize that maybe there's something to this local, sustainable, organic thing, but it was all very restaurant driven. Mm -hmm. And for me, I wanted to get people understanding that they, they could do this, you know, like it's, you can do this, you can cook dinner. And there's so many things that goes back to what you were saying about confidence at the beginning there are so many things that we sort of assume are intuitive or they're supposed to be intuitive, but they're just skills that you learn. Why would we expect that we would be able to roast a great chicken without either having watched someone make a great roast chicken all our lives or practicing it ourselves? It doesn't just come naturally. So I think there, right. you know, a lot of cooking is confidence. And that was my goal. My, I really wanted to teach people that they could do it. Yes, and I, I believe you are. <laughs> I think that's what transcends through the air there. I think there's an air in that building of we're here to support you. And you, you know, the forces in you, we're just going to help you click your heels three times kind of thing. Magical. To mix the metaphors of Yoda <laughs> and Glinda. But <laughs> <laughs> I have no no comeback from that. So we're going to take a little break, but that's that's perfect. <laughs> Okay, uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Allison Kane. She's the owner of Haven's Kitchen, a recreational cooking school, cafe, and event space. And she's also the host of In the Sauce and Heritage Radio Network. Okay, so let's talk a little more about the, the cooking school and the type of classes that mm -hmm. you're teaching. Because I was on your website and I see there's a huge variety. Yes. And then who are your students and do you have a lot of repeat Customers? Yes. Um, so, so you know, people have been asking since I opened, you know, what kind of cooking school is it? And I've really never been able to answer that because I, 
what I really like to say, and it's very long-winded, is it's the kind of cooking school that teaches you how to make what you feel like eating, which is not a very pithy answer. But ultimately, you know, the goal is really to get people to cook more often. And to me, there's sort of two pieces to that. One is making it so it's not a chore, right? Because you're not going to do something that you don't find fun and self sort of, you know, soothing to some extent. And secondly, you're not going to do something if you're making food that you don't like to eat. So what I, you know, what we try to do is have everything from, you know, Mexican street food to, you know, monk Zen cuisine and from Japan and literally everything in between. So you can sort of learn by skill or you can learn by ingredient. We have um, Mondays are always meatless. So for all our vegetarians and vegans, they can come on Mondays if they don't want to be in a class where they're making sort of special requests. We have gluten-free classes. We have knife skills classes. But we also have sort of, you know, chicken pot pie and beef bourguignon and fresh pasta. We, we really have everything. What's, what's most popular these days? Um, people are really loving Middle Eastern. Okay. I think that yeah. Adelangi has... I think he's really changed the way that a lot of at least New Yorkers eat. Yeah. I um, agree. and just, you know, learning how to roast better and learning how, you know, how to get those flavors. Um, people are really excited about that. Fresh pasta is the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, <laughs> I, every time you post that class, it like sells out in a second. Um, people just love it. It's like Play-Doh. You know, you're playing with mm-hmm. food and you're making pretty little shapes and you're getting flour on your nose and it's it's fun. Um, so, you know, the idea is like globally inspired, but very much driven by local um, and and ethically sourced ingredients. So we do try to, you know, we're not hammering it over anyone's head, um, but we are sort of saying, you know, when you're choosing to cook meat, these are what, you know, these are the types of things you should be looking for. These are the types of things you should be avoiding. You're not going to be eating a tomato in our class in January. And here's why, you know, this is going to be very heavily seasonal and here's why, and here's how to support farmers. And a lot of it is that, you know, I think a lot of people want to make better food choices. They just don't know how to kind of bridge the gap between, you know, people go to the farmer's market and they buy all these things and then they don't know what to do with them. You know, ultimately, it was Joan Gussow who said, you know, the world needs more teachers. And so that's really what we try to do. We try to just help people figure out what the heck to do with this beautiful food. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's smart and it's needed. Are you teaching any of the classes at the school now? Or are you Not oh, really okay. anymore. I mean, I'll teach very occasionally, um, but there are better teachers than me. Um, there, there just are. I, I would take yeah. a class of yours teaching. <laughs> I, I bet you're I fantastic. enjoy it. I just, yeah. um, I think that, you know, truth be told, my, my skills mm-hmm. are very much home cook skills. And there is something to be said for that. And I do have some knowledge. Well, you have a large family. I mean, cooking yes. for, it's not, yeah. I live by myself. Cooking for one is, is a whole different Ball yeah. game than cooking for yeah. five kids and and all their friends. 
Yes. No, that's true. I and I I actually I love cooking for all their friends and all their yeah. friends do come over. I'm which sure. Is, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure your house yeah. is the house to it be is. at. It's kind of, it is fun. Five teenagers and all their friends. It's great. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean for for you know, I'm probably not the best person to teach you knife skills. I can teach you the basic three. Right. You know, choke up, hold here, don't, you know, don't put your finger out, bear claw. But there are better teachers. So um, I'm not teaching as much. And in terms of who comes to the classes, mm-hmm. it's everybody who wants to learn either how to make something or reconnect with food or build their team and do something fun as a group or, you know, I call it parallel play for grownups. So if, you know, there's a group of people and they don't necessarily want to be like, Hi, Jerry, I'm Allie. But they want to stand next to each other and be like, do you like my dice? You know, <laughs> I think it's it's a, just a really good way to connect with people but not have to like be awkwardly, you know. And then we have people who sign up just by themselves. And yes, most of our classes have at least two to three people who've taken other classes. People keep coming back. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. So then you put some of these ideas and mm-hmm. skills and everything into a book. Yes. How did that come about? And I was browsing through your book and I was like, this is this is a great book. Thank you. I'm really proud of that yeah, book. Yeah, you should be. Um, thank you. It was a really fun two years. I wrote it at the kitchen table at Haven's. So... You know, I'd be like, what would you put, you know, if you were going to, and people would just kind of shout out things and I would throw it in the book. Um, I really wanted, I wanted something in, I think, you know, it comes back to that confidence piece that, you know, you talked about at the beginning. I don't think a beautiful, they, there is a place for beautiful chef driven, super fine, inspirational cookbooks. But that can actually make you less inclined to cook because it's kind of adding inapproachable to intimidating. I wanted to create something that really said to people, you've got this. All you need to do is like to eat to be able to know how to cook. It doesn't have to take you forever. It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be craning your neck back and forth, like looking at measurements. You know what you like. I mean, in our classes, we don't start with recipes. You don't have a recipe in front of you when you're taking a class. You get a recipe sent to you after class so that you have a shopping list and a guideline. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because if, you know, if you want, if you don't like cumin, why do you have to put it in? You know, you don't, you know? Right. Well, there there are certain people that think, I don't know, they see a recipe, think you have to, Mm-hmm. You have to measure everything. You have to go step by step and you can't make, you can't wing it at right. all. I've always been a more natural winging it right. sort of person. Actually, when I opened the book, it was interesting. I First thing I saw was uh, your latkes recipe. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I made latkes for, for Hanukkah this year. And I have all these cookbooks at home. And all of a sudden I was like, I didn't know which book to go to. Right. So I ended up looking online at New York Times right, right. Um, cooking section and finding, getting some inspiration there. But I was like, of course, it was like this perfect latka recipe right, right there for me for <laughs> yes. next year. I mean, it's very <laughs> funny. I have, I have deep feelings about latkes <laughs> and I'm a latka purist. But yeah, I mean, I just, I really wanted people, I wanted people to understand 
you know, fortunately or unfortunately for us, the book came out at like at the same time as Samin's book came out. So there's, you know, it, she yeah. sold a lot of those. But the idea, you know, there, I think there's a similar idea there, which is, you know, whether it's you're taking salt, fats, you know, fat, acid and heat, or you're learning like, you know, I'm allowed to turn down the heat on my burner. When it says high, you know, medium high, and it's getting burnt, people don't know that they have permission just to turn down the heat or take the pan off the burner for a minute and let it cool down. Right. You know, they don't know that just, you know, putting something on the grill, they shouldn't start jabbing at it right away to start flipping it and checking to see if it's done. You know, they're just little, little hacks that I feel like if people just start to internalize, then they'll get more confident. And then you're, you're comfortable riffing because you're confident. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have to have a certain level of like, I know this before you can start getting creative. It's like writing an essay or tying your shoe or, you know, or anything or riding a bike until you get the mechanics right. down. You're not going on a, you know, on a tour. Yeah. You know? No, true, true. So let me ask you my questions I had from my last guest, yes. episode 200. <laughs> I had on Carla Hall. I know. This is so, did she know she was asking me a question? Yes. that's so cool. Yes. I told her it was you and she got all, she was very excited. So she oh had two goodness. questions. <laughs> I'm thrilled that she even knows who I am. Oh yeah. She's a fan. She's Yahoo. a big fan. And people, I mean, I think my listeners know she's chef, restaurateur, cookbook author, TV personality. She's Carla Hall. Okay, so for question one. With the combination of a cooking school and a restaurant, how do you think you can change the culture of somebody at home, especially through recreational cooking? Kind of touched on this. Yes. I mean, I think there's I think there's sort of two pieces to that. One is your personal kind of culture, and one is like the larger food system. So from an individual perspective, I think... In my experience, if you ask most people to close their eyes and imagine their most comfortable, most competent, happiest self, like surrounded by the people that they like the most, most often it has to do with being around a table. You know, you're having a glass of wine with friends, you're sitting around a table, there's some kind of shared meal. Um, we want to make it easier for you to get there. Um any way we can, whether that's experiences, classes, now products, you know, there, there is a, you don't have to be a cook to know how to cook. And I think that that gives people a better health because there's a lot of evidence that the more you cook from scratch, the lower your salt is, the lower your sugar is, the healthier you are. I think it gives people a sense of self-efficacy you know, I know how to hit that flavor that I'm craving and I know how to cook carrots the way that I like to eat them. I think that's really important. I think it gives you a better sense of community. You know, you can feed other people and you can invite someone over and make a little something and, mm -hmm. you know, not sit at a restaurant or grab something takeout. Um, so I think it changes your own life experience to be able to cook. Um, I think also... The way that we're doing it, we're teaching people to not have 17 pots and pans and have to buy 35 ingredients and then clean up for an hour and a half, you know? So I think it just, I'm hoping that it makes people's individual lives better and healthier. Um, and then, you know, as sort of affecting the larger food system, there's a lot of research that, you know, the more that you cook, 
the more connected you are to where your meat was being sourced or how you're the, you know, the people that grow your vegetables are being treated. The issues that sort of plague our food system, farm labor issues, environmental issues, hunger, all of those things are really intimately connected with home cooking. And the more that we do it and the more we can get people to do it, the more impact I think we'll have on this larger system. I mean, it's, it's a long road from perfect, but I do think that, that the more people that are going to the, to the market or they're choosing local or they're opting for you know, certain ethically raised meats, the, the more that we'll grow that in our country and that is ultimately better for the land and the people growing food. I agree. Well yeah. said. Great answer. Thanks, Carla. <laughs> One more question yeah. from her. Oh. How do you balance between the cooking school event space, and she did say, which you do so well, see? Oh, thank you, Carla. Uh, <laughs> and what are some of the challenges that making making it look so easy? And that's that would that would certainly be a question I was going to ask, Gosh. too. I mean, <laughs> I, I think, you know, we always think of ourselves as like the ducks, you know, that are like gliding on the water, but underneath our like web paddled feet are going like completely bananas, you I've know. I've never heard that analogy. Yeah, like it looks super, <laughs> and you know, yeah, it's called yeah. Haven's Kitchen and it has to be chill and happy there, right? You don't want to walk into a place and be like, this is not a haven. Um, I think, you know, we are, there's a lot going on there. Um, we have a lot of people working at a lot of different things and the key we've found is really excellent communication you know between classes booking and we need the kitchen for an event or the cafe needs it because there's an extra order of cookies going out or you know whatever it is we need to be super super communicative with each other about what our needs are and if there's a system that isn't working we're very quick I think to create a system that is uh, we trust each other, and I think we all assume we're coming from, you know, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, but we're pretty clear with each other, and if we see something, we say something. So I think that's very helpful. Um, there was another question about... Making it the, look so easy. Well, I don't know if I make it look so easy, <laughs> but I will say, and you know, you, you know what's going on. I mean, retail in New York City is really challenging. It's a, I'm a single, you know, a single unit or whatever the, you know, it's not a chain. It's not fast casual. Labor is more expensive than it ever was. And, you know, as a human, you definitely believe in paying people as much as you possibly can. But, you know, as a business owner, some of that cost has to be absorbed by the consumer, right? And I'm going to raise my prices so that I can pay everyone the wages that they need and give everyone health care and make sure that we have a 401k. And I'm hoping that consumers are willing to pay a little bit more for their salad because they're choosing to support my business as opposed to a business that has 20 locations and a commissary and, you know, it less of a soul. Um, but consumers are being trained in the opposite direction, right? They're getting trained towards convenience and automation, and um, it's it's challenging, you know? It's it's yeah. not an easy business. But you, 
you're doing it and you are making it look easy and it's 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 amazing um it's it's fabulous to see how how you've grown the business as well and you also have started other projects on the side yes so let's talk a little bit about you have your podcast now on heritage radio in the sauce and you have a line of sauces yes so Um, that's funny the podcast is like a ruse there was a story i don't know if you heard this there was like a guy in some shire of England and he was a DJ and I'm saying that in quotes because he had like a studio in the back of his house and he had one listener to his radio show which was his wife who was in the house next door that's funny I feel kind of like him like yes I do have listeners for the podcast but honestly I started the podcast because I needed advice from lawyers and supply chain experts and salespeople and branding experts and I found that it was much easier to get advice from them for free if, if I invited I them, them on a on, podcast. So it's exactly. all the whole, all, all that work is for <laughs> selfish reasons. Okay. No, you know what? No. It's actually, yeah, it's yeah. partly selfish, but also because I feel like there are a ton of founders out there like me and it goes back to the mm-hmm. cooking thing. Like why would I expect to know how to run a consumer packaged good company? I, I've never done that before. It's like, why would you expect to make, Fill in the blank. You've never made that before. Uh, unless you, the only thing that separates you from an expert is experience, right? Doing it over and over. So I didn't know that there were, you know, differences in distributors and that buyers at different grocery stores had different, they preferred two for the price of one versus a buy one, get one free. How, you know, whatever, how would you know that, you know? So Basically, what happened was a couple of years ago, I sort of looked at the business and I love every second of it. I'm happy to be there every day, but it is a challenging business to be in. And I have incredible talent on my team and I think a pretty strong brand. And I realized that I didn't want to open more locations of Havens. And, you know, for us to sort of stay relevant, I felt like we needed to grow. At the same time, I also felt like for the mission, you know, I can teach 15 people a night how to cook and I, you know, I've reached, uh, you know, 100,000 or whatever it is, people with the cookbook. But to really make the impact we want to make, you know, I wanted to have a product that makes people cook more, mm-hmm. that makes it easier for them, that makes it more fun, that has less cleanup involved. And we'd been making these sauces in our classes for years and they're in my cookbook. And I thought, what if we can package these and make them, you know, sell them in supermarkets across the country? And it took a while to get a prototype. And then Whole Foods picked them up immediately, which was really exciting, as did Fresh Direct. And so that was last year. And now this year, I'm hiring, you know, I just hired a team. And we're working on the margins and we're and we're expanding to, you know, Chicago and L.A. And um, hopefully we'll have a national brand in, a, you know, another year or so. I believe you will. It's very <laughs> impressive. Well, it's exciting. It is exciting. OK, well, let's take another break here. We're going to come back. We're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Allison Kane. It's time for my speed round game. Okie dokie. Are you ready? I think so. I'm going to name a couple things and you just pick your preference. So here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. <laughs> that that would not be funny. <laughs> I would have been surprised if you said out, but but um, you could have. Okay, uh, but yeah, eat in. How about wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Oh. Mm, chef's counter. Yeah, that as soon as I I said it out loud, I was uh, yeah, I could see you going for either one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I love a chef's counter. Okay, a few more. Tipping or all inclusive charge? Tipping. Sorry, Danny Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> Hosting a radio show or writing a book? Oh wow. Um, Might be a hard comparison. Uh, hosting a radio show because I get to ask more questions. Okay. Yeah. That's a good reason. Cooking for a private event or cooking for your kids? Cooking for my kids. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Hands down. (laughs) Manhattan or Brooklyn? Sorry, guys. Manhattan. Fabulous. That's a game. (laughs) That's fun. It was fun. I was wondering, do your kids like to cook? Half and half. Um, a couple of them really like to bake, and I am not a baker. Yeah, I've always. Um, they're much yeah. more comfortable with the measurements, and they like the you know they like that experience. And then a couple of them just like throwing things in a pot and seeing what comes out. But they all really like food. Thank goodness. Well, they got them for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so industry news. I picked out one article on Bloomberg entitled "Resi in Capital One." Want to create a newer, better restaurant week. Off-menu week leans on unique experiences instead of a value meal. And this was by Kate Crater. So uh, I thought it was interesting because she's talking about Resi, which mm-hmm. I've had Ben Leventhal, founder, on my show. And he's always, you know, thinking out of the box and seeing kind of like, you know, I mean, he says in this article that, that he finds... Uh, you know, Restaurant Week is dated, and and he's looking to bring back uh, that saying it lacks passion and authenticity. So mm-hmm. this idea is to do something special, but um, kind of offer in in like off the menu yeah. experience for right. diners. That, I think it's great. Yeah, I do too. It's also great because you know we often. I mean, I find myself sort of bemoaning that press tends to circulate sort of around what's cheapest and what's newest. And it's very hard to be a really good family restaurant, let's say, or, you know, just a a member of your community who's been around for 10 years. You know, if you're not the cheapest and you're not the newest, you're not getting all that much attention. Or the most expensive. Right. (laughs) Right. So yeah, I've always, you know what I mean? So for like one of those restaurants, that's just a good solid workhorse of a restaurant, instead of having to sort of race to the bottom you can create something kind of new and interesting and that brings in people, you know, rather than just it being about price, which. Yeah. And also I think it's um, experiences that Mm -hmm. people really 
want and get a lot out of. And yep. this was saying they're they're doing this in six major c- cities across the U.S. from L.A. to New York to Chicago to D.C. and uh, certain restaurants and they are figuring out what they want to offer mm-hmm. as an experience for guests. And yep. it's not necessarily about the price point. Right. And I think a lot of chefs, you know, just like I think of Mike Anthony, right? He's a trained Japanese. I mean, he's like he trained in Japanese cuisine, right? right? You would never, he doesn't serve that at Gramercy, but that's one of his passions. And wouldn't it be fun if you could go to Gramercy and have him do like, a whole Japanese, you know, experience for you or something like that. You know, yeah. a lot of chefs, they get pigeonholed into their menu that they have to be doing and it's what people expect and it's fine, but maybe they'll have fun. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. I, if they're listening, I <laughs> you got <laughs> the idea from like, Allison. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's great and it's true. Um, chefs in their restaurants might might not necessarily every day be cooking what... Right. Uh, what they what they initially started cooking or yeah. what they're most passionate about even so yeah or what they may i mean i'd love to go like i'm friendly with dan kluger i'd love to go to loring place and see what he makes his kids you know yeah like rather than like the menu at loring place you right know, which is amazing too but it'd be fun yeah i agree well i think this is a cool idea so um stay tuned if you go to resi's uh website you can you can find more information and then just uh, two little announcements. I just was going to give a shout out to Tales on Tour 2019 in Puerto Rico. This is Tales of the Cocktail. They're taking it there from March 10th through 13th. And tickets are now on sale at their on their site, talesofthecocktail.com. It sounds really fabulous. If you if you want to get out to Puerto Rico and support, support them, that would be great. And I just want to also thank the Institute of Culinary Education and Carrie Tannenbaum. They just wrote a really lovely blog post entitled Five Podcasts for Food oh. Professionals and they included my show That's on so the industry. Nice. Yeah, it was it was terrific. Uh, the other shows included are as Dave Chang's mm-hmm. show and also as Cooking Issues, Dave Arnold on Heritage Radio and it, in good company and it's just yeah. really nice to get well deserved. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you to them. Like it really, it really made my day. If you want to read the article, it's at ice.edu backslash block. Okay, we're going to take one more break here. We're going to come back. We'll do my solo dining experience and have the final question. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Said. I won't let you escape inside. 
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Yatlock Restaurant. Here's the rundown. The location, 3438 Stanley Street, Central, Hong Kong, China. The concept, a Cantonese roast meats old school Hong, Tong, Hong Kong institution. The owner, Chu Kin Wa. So why did I go? Because it's known for the best roast goose, and I was on a solo adventure through <laughs> Hong Kong and Singapore recently. Okay, so my experience. I went early. I saw that it opened at 10, and so I went for an early lunch. I got there probably around 10.20. It was good timing because I got a seat right away. I was welcomed with what you will call typical Cantonese service, <laughs> which is which was directing me to a tiny stool on a tiny little counter in the middle of the room and a somewhat dirty table and handed a menu. The service was, was kind of opposite Danny Meyer Hospitality, <laughs> but um, I was happy to be there. My server came back. I ordered. I got a handwritten receipt. Uh, I will tell you later about something that was added to my order, in the process. And um, a nice couple from San Diego came in, sat down next to me. I chatted with them. I had my food. It was fantastic. Um, I was in and out about 30 minutes. I paid up, up at the front of the register. And when I left, there was a line about 20 people. So again, my timing was good. So what did I get? I had a quarter goose with drumstick and rice, mm. and I had an iced coffee because there was a guy I walked by that had this iced coffee, and it looked so good. I was like, I have to get it. My take, it was fabulous. I mean, it's known for their their goose, not something I eat so regularly, but it was delicious. The ambiance. So it's a no-frills cafe, different sized tables. It's pretty tight seating, and in, up in front, in the window, you see the geese hanging. It's perfect for goose or meat lovers. Interesting tidbit, Yatlock has one Michelin star. Oh, wow. And has been roasting meat since 1957. Oh, my god! It's gosh. been around a long time. Personal fun fact. So I ended up ordering a pack of tissues during my <laughs> stay at the restaurant because they don't hand out napkins, which I didn't realize in, in Chinese culture or restaurants, it's not very as common to to give people napkins. So I signaled for a napkin and I ended up buying a pack of tissues. I think it was about 40 cents, but I think I still have my tissues. That's great. <laughs> the cost of the whole meal was about $28. That's converted into US and including everything. And this place is cash only. Would I go back? Yes. Their website, they don't have one, but if you <laughs> Google Yatlock, Y-A-T, new word, L-O-K, you will find lots of reviews of this place. It is known in Hong Kong as having the best roast dust, duck, uh, best roast goose. And even <laughs> though, even though I mean the service is very curt, it sort of like goes yeah. goes with it, right? So that was that was my solo dining experience. When were you there? Um, about two weeks ago. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, wow. over the holidays, I took I took a trip to, a to nice Hong Kong. Trip. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I was by myself, so I had a lot of solo meals. But I figured this one, this one is was That's highly recommended to go, right. and it's definitely, um, it was worth it. It was worth it. And yeah, it was sort of after a couple of days, I realized I had 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 goose a couple times, and I'm like, <laughs> this is like a goose diet, right. you know, not something you eat that much here, I, yeah. or that you even find on menus. No. So um, 
that was Silver Dining Experience. And it's time for the final question. So my next guest is Simon Ford. He is a leader in the spirits, cocktail, and bar industry. He's the founder of The 86 Company, which includes Canna Brava Rum, Ford's Gym, Tequila Cabeza, and Alisbury Dock Vodka, if I said any of those right. I hope so. Um, I've known Simon a long time, and I'm excited to have him on my show. So, Allison, what would you like to ask him? I have two questions. Um, one is I have read and heard a lot of folklore about the French 75, and I would like to know the actual, I guess, etymology of where that drink came from. I've heard it was something between uh, the British and the French, you know, the gin and the champagne kind of coming together as allies. I've heard all sorts of different things. So I would like the actual story behind the French 75, if he can give it to me. I will find out. When I think of that drink, I think of Kat Kinsman. I don't know if you know her. She's a food writer, but it's her drink. Yeah. And she orders it yeah. everywhere she goes. I love a French 75. Okay. Um, and I'm just also curious for someone who's so involved in the spirits world, like what is like his go-to is and if it changes with the season or if it changes with the meal that he's eating. Those are two great questions. Well, like, how am I going to find out the answers? You're going to have to, <laughs> you're going to have to tune in. <laughs> okay. Tune in next week, four o'clock Wednesday. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Or I can I can also give you give you the the cliff notes afterwards. Okay, I can I, I can listen. <laughs> so that's the show. Thank you so much for coming on, and congratulations Thank on you. everything you've created and and will continue to create. I'm a big fan of Haven's Thank Kitchen, you. and I think a lot of people are. And I wish you much continued Thanks success. Thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. Thank you. You're welcome. So my guest today has been Allison Kane. She is the owner of Haven's Kitchen, a recreational cooking school, cafe, and event space. She's the host of In the Sauce and Heritage Radio Network. That's Mondays at four. Yes, is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so tune in then. And you can check out her website at havenskitchen.com and on social media at Haven's Kitchen. You can find me on social media at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. You can find all of our shows archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Noam, and thanks again to Allison for joining me. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. I'll be back next Wednesday Wednesday with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then. Bye. Bye. Thanks. On the top of the hill you see Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.